morning, family. How are we doing? Wonderful. Well, welcome to Grace Spring Bible Church. My name is Kenneth Price. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of opening God's Word with us this morning and, and looking at embracing resurrection. <laughs> now, I, um, <laughs> I had this opportunity this last week. I, I heard um, this, this phrase that, that has kind of stuck with me, and I wanted to challenge us with this as we start to think about resurrection. And, and this phrase, this, this quote, it said, are we worshiping God or are we busy worshiping our experiences about God? Are we worshiping God or are we busy worshiping our experiences about God? And this got me thinking about the resurrection power that, that lives inside of us. And, and if I'm being really honest, I'd like to share that, that a lot of times I, experience, I, I worship my experiences about God. I have my preferences I have the things that, that I like, the things that, that connect me. If a song um, that we're playing on a Sunday morning, if it doesn't connect with me as much, I, I might, my mind might wander and I forget who I'm singing about. If, uh, you know, some of you like saw me come out on stage and you're like, oh, it's not Brian, darn it, right? <laughs> and I started to realize like so many times I, I worship my own preferences instead of God. I worship the feeling that I'm chasing coming to church on a Sunday morning instead of actually worshiping God. I'm worshiping my own anxieties and my own fears and my own brokenness inside of me instead of worshiping God. And how do I tell that? There's a litmus test for that, right? A.W. Tozer said that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I challenge those thoughts a lot, right? Am I sitting in a place of peace? Am I sitting in a place of knowing my gospel identity? Or am I struggling through the anxieties and the fears and the brokenness that's inside of me? Am I resting in those places? I, as I was thinking about this, this, this scripture came to mind. I've been rooted in this scripture for about two weeks. Um, the Lord just will not let me pass by it, but I, I think it, it bears... Um, reflecting as we think about the resurrection that God has given us. And, and here's what it says. This is Paul writing in Corinthians, and he says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And, and this is where my heart is, if I'm being honest, because, because so many times in my life, I don't look at the resurrection in the life that God has given me, but, but I look, and if I was writing this letter, I might say, and I came to you brothers knowing everything except for Christ and him crucified, because I'm busy doing the work of man instead of letting the Holy Spirit move in my life the way that it needs to. I'm a human, right? And I think if we examine our lives and we examine how we're really reflecting on the resurrection and the life that Jesus is, I would say that most of us in this human condition that, that we have a struggle deep down inside of ourselves. it's a tension that, that we need to manage and realize that I'm not God. 
So the invitation this morning is to you, to me, for us to graciously step down off of the throne of our hearts and invite Jesus back into that space. We're looking at a beautiful passage this morning, a passage that that has been preached over and over again. It's a passage that I I really believe shows Jesus' true character, and it's all about resurrection. It's all about what Jesus does with the broken things and how he provides hope and truth and faith and life in the life of his believers. But but here's the deal. So many times we get rooted in and of ourselves that we forget that our identity is truly rooted in who he is. I like for my identity, identity to be something that I control. But so many times I'm worshiping myself or worshiping my experiences about God instead of letting the resurrection power of Jesus truly grip my heart and show me a better way. I was studying this last week, and there's this beautiful art. Um, and this is, uh, this, you find it normally in Japan. It's called kintsugi. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this idea of kintsugi, but the idea is that when a bowl or a plate or a cup or, or a piece of, of um, ceramics breaks, what often happens is, I mean, we might be like, oh, well, it's useless now, right? And we, we throw it in the garbage. But, but under this practice, what they take is, is they take this, uh, this, this fine joiner and they, they put it together with flakes of gold and they work their hardest to put it back together with gold running all the way through it. And what they say is that this showcases every piece of life that that vessel had ever experienced. And it makes it more beautiful and more meaningful because it takes the broken pieces and highlights the use that it still has. And I was thinking about this in my life as we're talking about the resurrection. How many times do do the things in my life, do I just want to sweep those into the trash can versus how many times do I want to let my Lord, my Savior, with his gospel, come into me and, and, and sharpen those things with gold and remind me that all of the broken pieces in my life have a use. And that's what we're looking at this morning. So I invite you, grab your Bible. We're going to spend all of our time this morning in John 11. Um, if you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, it's on page 1066. And I'm not going to invite you to stand this morning because we're going to be breaking this up into pieces to understand who Jesus was in the midst of this story, but also what that means for us and the way that we apply it to our lives. And so I encourage you as you're turning there to prepare your hearts and minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be in our midst, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word to us that we would learn all about your son, all about who he is in our lives, and what it means to truly trust in your resurrection and in your life. Lord, even as, as this broken bowl, as we look at the beauty of, of the gold that, that joins us together, Lord, would you help us to realize that, that you use our brokenness to tell a story? And that story is that when we were far from you, you were close to us. Help us see the beauty and the brokenness this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So starting out here, I'm, I'm, I want us to realize four attributes about Jesus, and we're going to see this here in the scripture. This is what it says in, in John 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair 
whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Let's put a pin in right here. So, so setting up the stage here is Jesus has spent a lot of time in his public ministry with Mary and Martha and with their brother Lazarus. This is, this is the same sister um, dynamic that we see in, in Luke 10 when Jesus goes to their house and visits. And, and we, we see the story, uh, this tension of, of Martha and Mary. And Martha is running around the house and, and trying to make sure that everything's in order. And she comes in and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. And Martha's like, what are you doing? Jesus is here. We got to clean up. We got to make everything look good. And if that doesn't preach to our own soul, it in the midst of, of what we're walking through, I mean, I don't know what will. But as we continue on, as we continue to learn about this journey, Jesus has sent a message that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, the one whom he loves, is very ill. Now, the first thing I want us to realize that, that as we come into this story is that Jesus is so secure in who he is as fully God and fully man, because he finds his identity in the time that he spends with his father. Jesus was rooted in the very father himself. We see this throughout Jesus's ministry, that, that as he's going about his business before and after intense time of ministry, the disciples are often looking for him. And, and we see this, it says, and Jesus with, had withdrawn to spend time with the father. Jesus was so rooted in the identity that, that even in, in this that we just read, when they say Lazarus is sick, Jesus is so rooted in the Father that he can look at him and see that this illness doesn't lead to death. I've heard from the Father. Right before this, Jesus and his disciples were ministering in Jerusalem, and the Pharisees got a little bent out of shape, which is pretty normal for them, and they decided, hey, we're going to stone this guy. And so Jesus and his disciples fled to the place that John the Baptist had been doing ministry, and Jesus rested, and he did ministry there. And then we, we wake up to this story. Word comes from Mary and Martha, hey, our brother's sick, and he's going to die. Jesus is not surprised by this. He, he already knows this illness will not lead to death. He's so rooted in who the Father is that he knows what his purpose is and he knows what he has been sent to this earth to do. We see this in his character through the way that he lived his life. He, he made Sabbath and rest a sacred practice in his life so that, that he could be so invested in who the Father is that he couldn't help but pour that out. I want to challenge us. Do we, do we see that in our own life? Do you, you realize like the, the culture that we live in is the busiest it's ever been? We are constantly connected through, through things like this, right? Where, where even if we choose to unplug, it gets pushed to us. You have to make very intentional um, steps to go into all of these settings and turn those things off if you want to. We don't rest. We don't like the idea of rest. Me and myself, like, I can tend to bootstrap things and say, like, if I just try harder, if I just do more, I'll get the results that I want. Jesus, I, I, I mean, as we read through the Gospels and look at, he, he's a constant reminder for us 
that, that to be effective in this life and to live the life that we need to live, embracing the gospel and following him, that, that we can't do anything apart from the empowerment that the Father gives us, to be rooted fully in who the Father is, the giftings that he's given us, and embracing our identity in him, worshiping him and not just our experiences of him. You might say, man, we, we had a powerful time at the women's conference yesterday. Are we worshiping the women's conference or are we worshiping the God who empowers us to live in that? Man, worship was incredible this morning. Are we worshiping the Father or how it made us feel? We have to be a people who are so rooted in the Father that we see the Father through everything. That we see him in the steps that we take, in the places that our fingers touch. And that's what, that's what allows us to become so unflappable. And I'm very flappable. <laughs> and I would suggest that that's because I'm not rooted in the Father the way that I need to be. When my anxieties flare, root myself in the Father. When I want to try harder, I should root myself in the Father. When I'm mourning... It's time to root myself in the Father, just like Jesus did. He gave us the rhythm of life. Before, during, and after, root ourselves in the Father. This next part of the passage, it says this in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And this next sentence kind of of throws me off because we get a so here. (laughs) Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. (laughs) (laughs) He loved him so much that he didn't do anything. But he has his purposes. See, when I read this as a human, I like to put motivations onto Jesus. And I like to try to decide who Jesus is instead of letting Jesus be who he is and let that speak to my heart. When I read the Bible, am I reading it to, to interpret my life or am I letting the Bible be my life? So when we look at Jesus here, it's like, ah, that was kind of goofy, Jesus. Like, what are you doing, man? You going to let your friend die? We find out that his purposes are much, much bigger. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And this was like the second part here that that the disciples are like, what? That's the place that they were just trying to stone you, Jesus. You want to go back? The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we might die with him. Now this is a, this is a powerful piece of scripture, and this is a message that I hope bores down into your heart, because this is one of the hardest things in my life in the gospel that, that I see reflected in the way that Jesus lived. And that was the second point, that Jesus was unhurried. Jesus was always rooted in the Father, but he was unhurried in the midst of that. Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and he loved him, so he unhurried himself. 
and he rested. I would submit to you that the reason that he did this is he was so rooted in the Father and he so knew the purposes that the Father was working that he couldn't help but be unhurried about it. He knew that everywhere he looked, the Father was working. He trusted so deeply in what the Father was doing that he wasn't so worried about his own life. And I think about myself, like, right, this morning, I was pulling out of my neighborhood, and this car, like, cut me off. It's like six in the morning, and this slow truck pulled out right in front of me and then proceeded to drive slow all the way down my road. And I caught myself, like, I'm, I'm talking about unhurrying this morning. <laughs> all right. Right? And so in the moment, I'm like, man, come on. It's like, I, don't have, I, don't, I don't go on stage until like 9.30. Like, why am I, it's 6 in the morning. Why am I freaking out right now? Because I live a hurried life. I'm always going from one thing to the next. And Monica, my wife, my beautiful wife, who is the voice of God in my life sometimes, most of the time, uh, looked at me this last week and, and she says, you have this issue where you can't live in the moment because you're always thinking about the next thing. I was like, ooh, the faithful wound of a wife. But it's true. How often, because of the culture that we live in, because of the way that we're wired, because of the nonstop busyness in our life, do we rest in the moment? Are we so busy thinking about all the next things and the next things? And the ne I wonder in my own life how many times God has, God has set up an appointment for me to be somewhere for somebody that, that needed to hear the truth of the gospel. And I was so busy thinking about the next thing. And Jesus knew enough to recognize and say, look, this isn't even for Lazarus. This is for you. Like his disciples he was sitting with, like, not only do I want to show you what I can do through my power as I bring Lazarus back from the dead, but I want to show you that the Lord is in control of everything. And I said earlier, like, so oftentimes in my identity, I, I feel like I need to do more and be more and move on to the next thing and, and, and worry about the next thing, right? I play out all these scenarios in my mind, but what if they say this? Then I'll say this, and then if they say this, I'm going to do that, and then, right? I seem to remember Jesus, like in the Sermon on the Mount, so don't, don't worry about anything, Look at how God takes care of the birds in the air and, and the flowers. Is he not going to take care of you in that interaction? Unhurry yourself and be with me. That's the invitation here between these two attributes of Jesus Christ is that he was so rooted in the Father, so busy spending time with him, so busy drinking in deep from the life that the Father gives that he had no choice but to be unhurried because he trusted him so much. Everything in my life is a gift from the Father. Amen. So the question is, when am I going to start drinking that? I don't know, but I want to. You know, Paul talks about, like, not being conformed to the patterns of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. I think that's, like, the biggest trap in most of our lives. 
Don't be so rooted in your identity, but be transformed by the way that Christ's identity is rooting itself in your heart. I'm really good at pushing him out and being like, I got this. Oh God, heal me from the need to figure things out on my own. Help me to be unhurried. Help me to be rooted so deeply in the Father that even when things look dire, I walk in his time and not my own. The next attribute of Jesus is is listed here in, in this next portion of Scripture. Starting again in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Let's put a pin in right here because there's a lot for us to unpack in the midst of what we just read. What I see here is that Jesus was fully available. That's the next attribute. So he was rooted deeply in the Father. He was unhurried and he was fully available. He stood before Martha first and then Mary second. And he took these questions from them and these statements from them that, like I'm thinking in and of myself, that would have hurt me, (laughs) right? But I'm not the Savior. Martha and Mary both looked at him and said the same exact words, Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And I can't imagine what both of them are thinking in the midst of this. Jesus, we, we telephoned you four days ago, and it's just a two-day journey, and he's been in the tomb for four days. Couldn't you have done something? 
And in the, in the typical fashion of Martha, right, as soon as she heard that, that Jesus was coming, she's up and busy and doing things and running out to him. And, and Mary is sitting in mourning and, and falls before the feet of Jesus. And both of them have their own responses. And both of them are really good responses because both of them see the power of Jesus and has seen how he's worked. But how often do we do that in our own life, whether we're mourning somebody or mourning the death of a dream or mourning the death of something inside of us that, that we look and say, Jesus, couldn't you have saved this? And I love how like Martha even gives those responses that, that we expect to see when other people are mourning. I know he's in a better place. But Jesus, like the, the way he calls her up short here, I think is the whole point of this entire story. Because he reveals himself to Martha in a way that's tangible. She says, Lord, if you had come, my brother wouldn't have died. And he looks at her and he says, do you believe he'll live, uh, that he'll rise again? And she said, of course, at the end of days, he's going to rise again. And she's going through this theology, this theology of death and knowing that he had a relationship with Jesus. And so that, that in the end of the end of days, God is redeeming all things and he's giving new life and, and everyone will raise again. But Jesus looks at her and he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. I. It's in his person, his availability to them. And he said, do you believe this? And she looks at him and, and she says these words, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ, it's a title. It's the Messiah. It's the one who came to make all things right. The prophets talked about this, how we live in a broken world and the Messiah is coming. Jesus revealed himself to her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who your heart and your soul has been waiting for. And I know in the midst of this, even though you're feeling pain right now and broken this right now. I have come to set all things right. You know, I looked into these words. I'm the resurrection and the life. Resurrection, the, the Greek word here is anastasis. You know what it means? Resurrection. <laughs> then I looked up life, and, and this was what, like, I almost fell out of my chair. It's, it, oh, the implications of this word, it's zoe. It doesn't just mean the ability to breathe and to function. It doesn't just mean that there's brain activity happening. It doesn't just mean that there's lung activity happening, that I can feel my hands and fingers, but it means fullness of life. Fullness of life. The ability to walk forth in the best version of myself that God has created me to be in. The ability to, to think um, creatively, the, the ability for the Holy Spirit to pour out of me and, and change people's lives in the presence of who he is. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's not just saying like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring your brother back to life because that's who I am. But he says, in me, fullness of life can be found. Not only do I resurrect, but I give fullness of life. I give purpose. I give meaning. I give adoption. I bring the blood of Jesus to you so that you can have new life. It's a resurrection from the dead. It's, it's taking those broken pieces and lacquering them with gold and realizing that the brokenness that's inside of us has a purpose, and that purpose is to pour out into the world around us. I am the resurrection and I am the fullness of life that you're searching for in your, your meaningless pursuits and all of the broken things in the world, the sin and the struggles and everything that you're looking to find life in. You cannot find it in anyone but me. Amen. And Martha's like, yeah, that 
that's what I want. It was through Jesus' availability. Can I, can I share with you that he stood there and he took everything he needed to from her so that he could pour out everything that he needed to into her? He was available and he was compassionate. Then we moved to Mary and this is where it gets even more emotional. Like Martha, she's the doer. She's the worker. She's coming at this rationally, right? She's, yeah, Jesus, uh, she's got like the scientific mind. I understand he's dead, right? You can raise him again if you want to. Even if you don't, he'll raise again at the, end of, uh, at the end of the age. She's got it down. Mary comes to him, falls, out, falls down at his feet. This is the Kenneth person, right? That's like, ah, why did you do this? You know, my life is falling apart. And Jesus looks at her and it says that, that he was so deeply moved with compassion. There's a word here that... that he groaned in his heart. You know what the, the Greek here, it, it's a term for when a horse snorts. <laughs> it's a term for anger. When Jesus looks at Mary and sees the grieving that she's doing, he responds with anger in his soul. And I never understood this whole like Jesus wept thing. I'm being really honest, like Jesus wept? Yeah, Lazarus died, of course. Why, you know? And, and then I look back at what we just read, and it's like, Jesus knew. So why is he weeping? He was so overcome in that moment with the power of death that is still in this earth. And he groaned within inside of himself with anger, and he released that through the weeping of tears. Because we're still so affected by death. Even though we will raise again, death still has power on this earth. Even though he has defeated death in the long term, we still are forced to, to walk through our numbered days until the day that we die. And in that moment, Jesus was angry because death still had dominion and because of the way that it impacted the people around him who he loved. We say that Jesus was fully God and fully man, that he is fully God and fully man, that there's no emotions that we walk through that he's unfamiliar with. There's no temptation that, that has fallen to us that he, did, he was not tempted by. In the depth of his being and in, in his being rooted with the Father and his being unhurried and his being available to his friends, he was overcome with angst and grief. Because the people that he came to this earth to provide a new way for would still have to experience the sting of death. What's interesting is the, the dichotomy between the two words weeping here. When Mary came out weeping, that word specifically talks about wailing. It was a traditional mourning tradition that, that you would wail for someone you had lost. And when it talks about Jesus weeping, it's a bitter silent cry. We see the fullness of human emotion in the way that Jesus responds. But we also see a life that is so tethered to the Father that even through those emotions, he still shows who he fully is. And that's the last attribute that I want to look at. We're going to read this. Then Jesus deeply moved again. Again, that word, deeply moved, grunting within his soul the horse snort. He came to the tomb. 
There was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus knew his identity. Do you see that? This prayer, this intimate prayer that, that he shares with the Father, I, I think is beautiful. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. You see the flashback there in the end of this prayer to the disciples, and he said, yeah, we stuck around here for two more days so that you may believe. And when he comes to the morning procession, they're, they're sitting wake, essentially, with, with Mary and Martha and, and all of these people. It would be friends, it would be family members, sometimes families paid mourners, professional mourners to come in and sit with them. And Jesus says, I did this so that you would believe in me, the resurrection and the life. It's a beautiful picture of, of who Jesus knew he was in, in, in his innermost being, that he walked firmly in the Father, moved with the Father, and did the work of the Father in the lives of the people around him. I like to say that, that my, my goal is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. That's, that's what I'm on earth for. And I think what, what Jesus shows us in his character here is, is a lot of being with the Father, becoming like the Father, doing what the Father wants to do. Jesus gives us a roadmap for what it looks like to live in resurrection. You see this in, in the midst of this, that, that Jesus is resurrecting Lazarus. And, and you know what's wild about this is, is you can look up stories of people who have clinically died and when they come back to life, it takes a little bit for their bodies to jumpstart and to, to get back to the way it was. It's kind of like the broken plates, right? Jesus is soldering those things together, putting those things together with gold. But in the same way, it takes me a little bit for all of those broken pieces to come back together the way that they were supposed to. And what I would argue is like instead of that first bowl picture that we found, I've still got pieces scattered everywhere <laughs> in my life. But what I know is that through death with Christ, he has resurrected me into new life with him. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. And what does that look like? It looks like redeeming the broken pieces, trusting the resurrection and the life, that though we die, we will live again. That's a hope for the future, but... 
a lot of times the rub for us is we're like, yeah, I know, like when, when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus, but what about now? Can I, can I suggest that the now is in these steps? To be rooted so deeply to the Father, to live a life that's more and more unhurried, to be available to the world around us, and to truly, truly know our identity and who Christ has made us to be when we believed in the good news of the gospel. That's for the now. It takes the broken pieces and and paints them together in a beautiful way so that we can be an offering to the world around us. I love how Dane Ortland put this in, in his book, Gentle and Lowly. So the same Christ who wept at the tomb of Lazarus weeps with us in our lonely despairs. The same one who reached out and touched leopards puts his arm around us today when we feel misunderstood and sidelined. The Jesus who reached out and cleansed messy sinners reaches into our souls and answers our half-hearted plea for mercy with the mighty invincible cleansing of one who cannot bear to do otherwise. Have you thought of the Father in that way? Have you thought about Jesus in that way, that he cannot bear to not cleanse us when we ask? That he cannot bear to let those pieces sit on the workbench when when we hand over our heart to him. He cannot bear to, to, to not put those things back together. So here's what I'd like to suggest this morning in our pursuit to be more like Jesus, to be, uh, to be with Jesus, to be more like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did, I think there are four pieces derived from those attributes of Jesus that, that I would invite you to look at in your own life. As disciples, we are committing to being with God before we do for God. I love Jacob Bates, our youth director. He, he talks about um, how in the youth ministry, prayer is the engine and not the caboose. <laughs> we don't tack on prayer to our life. We have to be people who are so deeply rooted in the Father through prayer and through presence that we are with God before we do for God. The second is to unhurry so that we can see God in the world around us. Can I ask like a really simple question? When was the last time that you were shopping at Meijer or Walmart or wherever and instead of all of the things that you had to purchase, you stopped around and saw the image of God in the people around you? What would it look like to, uh, to, to intentionally unhurry our life, to, to drop one thing off of the schedule, to cancel plans if we need to, so that we see God in the midst of our walking and talking and doing. I'm not good at it. Like, I I confess, like, this one's hard for me. Can we slow down so that we can see God at work? The third is be available to be the gospel to somebody else. Jesus showed up and he was the gospel, the good news to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and then in proxy, the disciples and the other mourners. He was available He stood before them and gave them what they needed with compassion and with a groaning inside of his spirit knowing that they needed comforting. And then the fourth is to truly find our identity in Christ. This one's hard too. There's so much of me still inside of there. (laughs) 
But can I remind you, like, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. My identity is in that death. And a dead man has no rights. It's only Christ that lives inside of me that dictates who I am and who I'm becoming. Can we give ourselves over to that instead of clenching at our flesh? Because we're either being formed by the Spirit or formed by our flesh. And man, I want to be formed by the Spirit of God. I want to be formed by the resurrection and the fullness of life that Jesus offers. So we take these reminders as as something to maybe work on this week, as something to maybe put into practice. What is one step that you might take in one of these four areas? Or maybe all of them. Maybe you're an overachiever. That's cool. But I would suggest that you, if, if you think you could do all four, maybe start with number two. What's one small step that you can take to grow closer to Jesus? It's, it's almost like that's a mission at our church or something, right? Taking a step closer to Jesus. What's that step that you're going to take this week in one of these areas? I would encourage you as we, as we come together and sing again to really reflect on that and think about what is Jesus calling your heart to over this next week to embrace the true resurrection and the boundless, limitless, amazing life that he's given us. Because the gospel is such good news, friends. We got to keep stepping towards it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to love you and to be led by you and to hear your voice and to see the example of Jesus who, man, walked into a hard situation and and as fully God and fully man, he knew that there was life to be had. But man, it's so hard to to point the sheep in the right direction sometimes. Heavenly Father, would you shepherd our hearts this morning? Point out an area, one area for some growth, one area that that you want to shepherd our hearts in and remind us this week, Lord, that you are our resurrection and you are our life. We're not just saved so that one day we get to go somewhere cool but we're saved so that every day we can be your sons and daughters. Every day we can learn from you. Every day we can learn what it means to truly root our identity in you. Lord, help us not to come into the the situations of the world preaching anything other than you and you crucified. We give that to you. In Jesus' name.